Hi, this is John, and today on Theocast, Justin and I are going to discuss chasing goosebumps. Those spiritual highs that you have after personal devotion time or a worship service or evangelizing, we're looking for that next spiritual significance where we feel close to God and we know that His presence is near. Why is that dangerous, and how can that actually hurt our assurance and distract us from the gospel? We hope you enjoy. Stay tuned. A simple and easy way for you to help support Theocast each month is by shopping at Amazon through the Amazon Smile program. When you make a purchase through Amazon Smile, a portion of the proceeds will be donated to our ministry. To learn how to sign up, just go to theocast.org give. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed perspective. Your hosts today are Justin Purdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. And I am John Moffitt, pastor of Grace Reformed Church in yeah, Spring are. Hill, Tennessee, <laughs> just south of Nashville. And uh, it's good to be podcasting with you today. Uh, Justin and I already were on a podcast, another podcast that's probably come out by now. We encourage you to doing a lot of podcasting today. Apparently, podcast is a verb now. That's right. And one of the things we're excited about is that we we have a people ask us all the time, "What's a great book that you guys recommend?" One of the things we're going to start doing is giving away stuff on our podcast. So stay tuned next week. We're going to have a we're going to start doing some giveaways uh, for our members and for our listeners books that we like like and enjoy. It's kind of like if you've ever attended one of those church services and they're trying to encourage people to be baptized and they're like, text <laughs> baptism to this number and you will be entered oh, into a drawing horrible. to win a free iPad. And yeah, it's like, no, that's not that's, what this is. <laughs> that's kind of what we're doing, but not really what we're doing. No, no I'm kidding, I'm kidding like completely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We actually love these people. That's true. Oh, anyways. Well, today is a fun subject. It's one that uh, Justin and I are pretty passionate about we like it to might liberate even be a people. thrilling subject a thrilling mm. subject some say yes quite moving as it might be but it's one of these things that we like to liberate people from and uh so justin talk to us a little bit about this subject why it's important and why we chose it like you just said brother this podcast exists to try to set people free from all kinds of bondage and to pull people away from things that are less than good onto the only sure foundation, which is Jesus Christ and his righteousness and work for us. And one of the things that we can often chase after and frankly be enslaved by is the pursuit of what I might call spiritual highs, where we chase after experiences. And so people need to have that category in their minds that sometimes we need to be delivered from things that in our experience actually feels good but then can become really bad for us because we're always kind of measuring how we're doing up against how we felt that one time or uh, the experience that we had that one church service or whatever it may be. And then it introduces all of these thoughts and concerns and, and stuff into our brains and we become hyper introspective about it and we become anxious or worried or concerned about various things because we're not feeling how we once felt about Christ or I'm not doing as well today as I was yesterday or this week at church just is not thrilling my heart like I was thrilled last week or that service that happened two months ago or whatever it is. And that can become a very heavy burden and it can become something that 
is a form of bondage, as I referenced just a moment ago. So we're hoping to have a, a reasonable conversation about this and not only point out maybe where this comes from, but also pull people onto something better uh, as yeah. we try to think reasonably about the Christian life and the fact that we're fallen and that we don't always feel the way we should. That's right. It's going to come to bear in this. So when many of those who are listening came to Christ, maybe you um, came from a background where you were in sin or you didn't grow up in a church background. And you in that conversion moment, that moment when you saw the Holy Spirit open your eyes and your sin before you, and you you saw that Jesus saved you, that it's an unreal uh, other other earthly experience to know that the Holy Spirit has transformed you. And I know that many have this emotional moment where they they truly experienced the gospel in a way that transformed their life. They they were a different person going forward, um, and then you you see this person and they're involved in everything. They can't get enough of the word of God. Um, they're at soul winning there. I mean, it's like, boom, 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 boom. And my dad used to describe these people as getting a good dose of the Holy ghost, you know, <laughs> so right, I was man. like, dose I guess that goes, I guess I never, I guess I never got one of those because that was never me. I wanted to race my, my bike on Saturdays, not go out thorn hiking. Um, so then what ends up happening down the road, a year down the road, and things start to kind of slow down, and that spiritual high is no longer there. And what they're looking for is that next high. It's that next, okay, how do I get back to when I was really close to Jesus, when I was first saved? Like, how do I get, I just maintain that experience. And when I grew up in the Baptist world, it was kind of like you, you, you said you always wanted to be having fresh blood in your church because it keeps the exciting, the excitement level up. Basically new converts keep everybody excited. And when you are always looking for that, that next spiritual moment, that's going to throw you back up to where you feel like God is the most important thing in your life. Nothing else matters. You're floating on you know, you're floating on air. And when you can't find it and years start passing by, it creates all kinds of theological problems. It creates all kinds of uh, assurance issues. And then you start seeking it in books and in movements, right? So you have the radical movement, and then you have the um, charismatic movement. And then you, ha- I mean, you can just start walking down all of, and every de- every denomination and every, it seems like theological bent has these goosebump moments they want for you to experience so that you can have that next euphoric high. Sure. Well, there's a reason why it's unusual anymore for somebody to just, hold the same theological positions for a long period of time. It's unusual for people to just be members faithfully in the same church for a long period of time because people, not only is it something like where we grow bored, but I think in some ways people get worried about their spiritual condition because they're not feeling it the way that they once were, or they need something different so that they can get excited and geeked up about it. And so sometimes this chasing experiences can actually lead us into theology and, and practices and stuff that are less than helpful. That, may be true, but I, I want to maybe back up a little bit and talk about emotions for a second. And the fact that emotion in and of itself is not a bad thing. I mean, John and I would both uphold the fact that you know, part of being you know, made in God's image, a small part of that anyway, means that we are emotional creatures and emotion 
in and of itself is a good thing. The issue for us is that we are fallen creatures, and that means that every aspect of our personality has been affected by sin. And so that includes our emotions. And because our emotions are fallen, and because we are inherently self-interested and the like, and lack perspective, our emotions are not always trustworthy. And so we have to acknowledge that if we're going to make any sense of this conversation. To feel really good about God or to feel really good about Jesus and what he has done for you is a wonderful thing. Like praise the Lord for those moments and realize that there are going to be plenty of times as a fallen human being, as a Christian who is in Christ, living in a fallen world that you and I are not going to feel the way that we should. And so we've got to have something by way of a sure foundation that is bigger and much more robust than how I'm feeling on any given day. Mm -hmm. Um, As a matter of fact, I know in our church, we often welcome people to service, acknowledging that they've come in feeling any kind of way. And that the only thing that's consistent about us is that we're inconsistent, you know, in Mm -hmm. terms of how we feel. And what we're trying to do is look to something that's outside of us and that can give us hope and peace before the Lord. And his name is Jesus. Thank God. I guess one, one thought, John, is that as good as the goosebump moments are, and they're great, like who wouldn't want them? I mean, you would be wrong to say that, oh, well, you shouldn't want to feel uh, great about Christ. Of course you should want to feel great about Christ when you moved and, <laughs> And like just gripped. I mean, those moments are wonderful yeah. and praise God for them, but also praise God that Christianity and the gospel is about more than goosebumps because that's right. If it's about goosebumps, man, it's, it's sinking sand. I mean, it's that quagmire where the more we flail about chasing after it, the, the further we sink down in it. Well, and I would say too, it, it matters where the goosebumps are coming. So you and I have watched. Oh, a that's really great totally movie. true. Totally. True. Right. You and I watched a really great movie, and at the end of it, you're just like, man, that was that was fantastic. I can remember the first time I went to the theater and I watched The Village, and there's yeah. that, you know, I'm not going to I'm not gonna ruin it for anybody, but there's that aha Spoiler moment alert. at the end of the movie. Yeah. Well, it's been out long enough. It's kind of like your own fault, I guess. Maybe not. I'm not going to tell you what happens. Point of it is, there's that aha moment. If I were to go back and watch it again, which I had never seen it. I've only seen it once. It's kind of one of those movies for yeah, me. Same. It's one and done. And I'm going to watch it again with my kids probably, but I won't, it won't have the same effect on me. And, but we, um, we, we experience this closeness and this emotional high where you can feel the tingleness, your heart is exploding, your, your eyes are watering. And that could be caused by a thousand different things. It could be caused by uh, um, an abortion video when we start thinking about how kids are being murdered and, and it just, it breaks your heart. Or it could be about God healing somebody from cancer and you're watching this video and it's just bringing this on. There's there's a, a million and one things that cause us as humans to feel these this emotional um, drive that comes out of us. And the danger is that if you go to some worship services, that they're they're going for that. The mood, the lighting, the music, the transitions, the words are all designed to get you into this emotional state where you can experience the presence of God because of, and it is an experience, because of the music and the words and the emotions and the, and the smoke and all that kind of stuff. Now, on the, sure. on the flip side, 
On the flip side, I also know people who have had this experience when they repent of sin and they there's this weight that's off of them and they they have this warmth theologically where they can feel the presence of God not real but they understand his joy and they understand the the love that he has for them Justin you and I have even experienced this on theological shifts where I can remember the moment I started to understand the covenantal God who has this unmovable unshakable love for me that was sure. an emotional experience for me to realize that I had just never seen the faithfulness of a covenantal God. And it, it, it was, it was one of those moments where I was, I was brought to tears thinking about yeah. how much my God has proven his love for me. Really quick on that, just sort of autobiographically, like you're saying, I've been a Christian for a while by God's grace, but I've had several points in time uh, even over the last like 15 years, as my theology has continued to be refined, like you're saying, where you come to a greater and more deep understanding of Christ and the gospel and God and his faithfulness and our security and all these kinds of things. And it is kind of like being born again, again. So it, we're not saying that either, that you won't have things land on you anew. And there are times, brother, I mean, this is not trying to take us off down a trail either, but there are plenty of times for myself where in the ebbs and flows of my life, you know, I'll be reading something or I'm in a service like in my own local congregation or I'm preaching even, and I am very gripped and affected by what's being said or what we're doing. And it's not because I haven't heard it before, but it's just, okay, it's landing on me. So not trying to discourage people from treasuring those moments and from thanking God for those moments uh, but what we're trying to do is help people think through the fact that their love, their joy, it's going to ebb and flow all the time. And that there That's has right. to be something immovable and unshakable that does not change that would be the anchor of their soul. That's right. And listen, people have different emotional tendencies. Uh, a good friend of mine who's a pastor here in Nashville. That's a great observation. Yeah, he. I think I've seen him cry once in the nine years that are ten years that I've known him. And right. um, recently, you know, I'm not a crier, but recently, just with the amount of pain and suffering that's going in our church, I, I get up there and I see these people's faces when I start mm. preaching, and mm. my eyes start watering up because I totally. can just imagine how painful. That, and I don't want it to do that. It's not like I'm yeah. looking for it to do that, but it, you you can't take personality because I've seen this mm -mm. where you have this gregarious, outgoing, very emotional personality. And that person mm. is considered to be righteous and holy and close to God right. because they're always emotionally involved in what they're doing. And then I have other people in my church who are like, the blip doesn't move from a straight line. Like their face never changes right. the expressions. They, they're, they don't, they're not loud. They're not quiet. They're just, they just are. And someone could say, well, dude, you, you are like flatlined. You need to like get in line with what God is and get excited about it. And I talked to this person and I was like, dude, this guy loves Christ. He's doing yeah. more for the body of Christ than most people are. He just doesn't want anybody to know about it. And he doesn't need the emotional highs and lows to make himself feel significant right. within the body of Christ because he right. understands Christ is significant. He is the one we focus on, not my emotional highs and lows. So he doesn't pursue it that way. Well, I mean, it, just another brief observation related to what you're saying. Not only can we not trust our own emotions, I think that's very clear in terms of being our guide. Um, we also cannot trust our evaluations of other people's emotions. I mean, we just got to get no. over that right now. Like for mm -hmm. us to look around and assess 
how we think our brothers and sisters are doing in the faith based on the countenance on their faces or based upon how joyful we assess them to be like during singing or something. I mean, it's just absurd because first of all, you have no idea what's going on in that person's life, you know, and what they may have endured and encountered yesterday or this morning before they showed up to this service. But also like you're saying, everybody's wired differently in terms of how they express themselves and how they communicate and how they look. And so, yeah, that's just sort of a public service announcement to help you be a better church member and to like Mm -hmm. love the saints in your congregation better quit doing this evaluation of each other's emotional state and what that means about their affections for Jesus. Because like you said, yeah. there are all kinds of times you talk to people that seem to be quite still on the surface, but it actually is very deep underneath, you know, and the current is there. Uh, it just is not as much white water on the surface as we might surmise there to be. Um, so Justin, anyway. what would you describe? I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw one at you. What would you okay. describe the difference between a emotional Christian goosebunk moment and biblical joy. What's the difference? I mean, I've heard people contrast, for example, happiness and joy. Right. I don't really want to do that right now. You know, like happiness is circumstantial. Joy is transcendent. That's not what we're necessarily talking about here. No, I think, I think that what we're talking about though, like biblical joy or even the word that we use often, you know, biblical rest in Christ yeah, yep. is more of something that I would call like a resting heart rate posture, that's right? right? That, that is ongoing. That's always there. Um, our experience of how joyful do I feel is going to be all over the place. So certainly that's when right. we say, you know, biblical joy, it's not a, like a, a temperature check. Like, how am I doing now? How am I doing in an hour? How am I doing tomorrow? That would be an unhelpful way of thinking about biblical joy. Biblical joy is very much tethered to rest and peace that all is tethered to Jesus and what he has done for me. And because Christ never changes, right? And his work for me never changes. I can have that resting joy and peace in Christ all the time, though I might feel quite different uh, or differently about Christ or about my Christian life or about my life wholesale, depending on what moment of the day you talk to me. Mm-hmm. But underneath all that, there is something that doesn't change. And that has right. nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Christ. That's mm-hmm. how I would begin to answer that question. What would you say? No, I think that's a great answer. Because, you know, Paul says that we, he demands joy, says be joyful in everything. And then Jesus promises joy. And so I, I look at sure. that and I say, Joy, joy is not circumstantial, but we can't connect no. it to emotions. Like the joy of no. the Lord is my strength means I, I love how you rephrased it. It's sometimes easier to, to say the rest of the Lord is my strength. Like I can find rest and comfort. I could even say the comfort of the Lord yeah, comfort. is yeah. my strength. So joy has this sense of rest and comfort because it's not based upon a circumstance. It's based upon a person, which is Jesus. So when we think about emotional highs and lows, I think biblically speaking, Paul can make these references and David can make these references because they are connecting them to something that's outside of our current circumstances, no matter how I'm feeling emotionally and no matter what's going on with me. 
uh, physically or emotionally. So when Jesus says, my joy can be in you and it can be complete. So it's not just abstract joy and it's not um, portions of joy. Jesus says the complete full joy of myself can be inside of you. And he says, when you have love for one another, that's how you tap into it. So what's interesting to me is that if you're going to pursue these moments of, I would say, safety and comfort and rest, it is not connected to actions like music, or I would even say things like reading your Bible or these emotional prayers that we have. I will tell you, I read a book, unfortunately, when I was in seminary that convinced me that if I got on my knees at four in the morning and just would not get up and beg for the presence of God to become around me and that I could be aware of it and worship him, then that's what was going to give me the energy for the day to obey and continue in my day. And so I would wake up at four in the morning and I can remember the very first week I did that. It was like an experience I had never had. The emotional high, the crying, the joy that I felt. And then after that one week, I, if I couldn't get it to come back, it's no matter how hard yeah. I tried, no matter what I read, and it wasn't enough because I just, that initial experience I had, it was like the Shekinah glory was in my living yeah. room and I, it's like it went away and I couldn't figure out why. Yeah. Well, John, I, I'm, I'm resonating with you, not in terms of the particular piece of that book and praying it for in the morning or whatever, but I find myself, I've said this many times, the most common prayer I pray is God help me. And mm. I may be asking him to help me about any number of things, right? Um, to, to yeah. not sin or, or, or whatever, you know, like continue to give me faith, uh, protect yeah. me from doubt and unbelief, whatever. Um, but I mean, just to put some too, words to that, Justin, the three things yeah. that I almost pray for daily is mercy, grace, and wisdom. Cause those are the three or, things Jesus said, ask for liberally, right? Sure. Mercy, grace, sure. wisdom. Yeah. And no, but I mean, even with respect to feelings and, and my, and how I feel about God or Christ or the things of God, I, I mean, Brother, I I could be wrong in saying this, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out because I, I think it's legit. We in this life are meant to know, confess, see, and feel our need of Christ. And we are meant to know that we are debtors to grace and in need of grace all the time. And I think one of the ways that the Lord reminds us of that consistently is in this area because we don't often feel like we should. And so that mm-hmm. that forces us to remember I am dependent and I am in need. And like, I need God's grace. I need his mercy. I need his power. I need his help. If I'm even going to feel like I should, you know? And so I think to find ourselves praying, you know, for this, not chasing highs, but for us to pray that God would give us grace and that he would help us and that he would stir our hearts. I think it's a reasonable thing to ask the Lord for and to see our need of it is not bad. Um, you know, in this life, as we, as we are not fully sanctified yet, and we haven't been resurrected yet. Anyway, one I want to pivot slightly, maybe with a, a an anecdotal illustration of this, sort of what we're getting at. And and in many churches, it doesn't have to be like the mega church context, though I think the illustration I'm going to give is kind of that. This is not unique to me to make this observation either. So I'm not like uniquely brilliant or something in saying this. But how many times have you been to a church service? We can all where, agree to that. Thank you, brother. Um, <laughs> how many times have we? 
That's right. How many times have we all been to a church service where we walk in the space and it's, you know, maybe it's an inviting space, whatever. And there's the screen up front and it's got the countdown for the service to start. You know, it's like the clock mm-hmm. and it's ticking down That's and right, the music is playing. And like, you know, with maybe like three minutes God's to go, about the to music, enter the room, the music ramps up. Yeah, he is. The music ramps up and the lighting changes. And then with a minute, it ramps up even more. And then for like the last 10, 20, 30 seconds, there's like this driving, like the, the kick drum, you know, it's like, doom, doom, doom. And we're just, we're about to start this thing. And like right on cue, the worship leader, like with this grand gesture grabs the microphone and he's like, you know, how y'all feeling out there kind of thing. <laughs> and my, I mean, cause I've seen this, I mean, I trust many have experienced this and my thoughts on that are several. One, it's like, well, what, what kind of new Testament question is that? You know, um, how am I feeling? And it's like, depending on the day, you're going to get any different kind of answer. Cause like maybe, maybe today, uh, maybe my wife and I had a fight in the car on the way to church. You know, maybe, um, you know, I spilled my coffee all over this or that or the other. Um, maybe, or maybe you know, I just got a job on. promotion, right? Maybe I did, but yeah, maybe so. Maybe I just got a job <laughs> promotion, but it's like in part, a lot of times for me, I come in to a service and I'm like burdened. I'm distracted. I've, I've got a lot going on in my initial thought, how y'all feeling? I'm like, well, uh, I feel kind of like a miserable wretch. And so what do you have for me? You know, like, cause if you're asking me how I'm feeling, that's a pretty hopeless thought. And that's, that's right. where I think what we're trying to do is, is demonstrate the foolishness of that kind of question and that kind of uh, approach to a church service or certainly the Christian life. And I think we can certainly agree that rather than asking me how I feel, ask me something that's somewhat more significant than that. Ask me what I know to be true. Mm, that's right. Right. Ask me what I know to be forget. true. Ask me what I know to be true most pointedly about Jesus Christ and his work in my place, his atoning death, the satisfaction that he has made for my sins, the fact that in his death, I too have died to the law, that he has provided me with righteousness. That's all I could ever need. And he is the ground of my peace and assurance, not just today, but forever and ever. Like, ask me what I know about that. And then we're getting somewhere. And then we might actually have something to sing about, you know, rather than this like really whatever, this amorphous, free form, fleeting, ever changing thing called how I'm feeling. If you're new to Theocast, we have a free ebook available for you called Faith versus Faithfulness, a Primer on Rest. And if you've struggled with legalism, a lack of assurance, or simply want to know what it means to live by faith alone, we wrote this little book to provide a simple answer from a Reformed confessional perspective. You can get your free copy at theocast.org primer. Well, and it's, it's hard because you do see people moving the needle and, and moving the experience more and more and more to make sure that we're not distracting from that experience. Now, listen, I tell our congregants and our elders and deacons all the time that we don't want to distract from the reason we're there, which is fellowship in the word. So if there's anything that's going to cause a distraction from that, then let's do our best to make sure that, you know, the temperature no, is, amen. is set to the right, you know, room temperature the, and that the, that the speakers space is are, reasonably inviting and not miserable. Yeah, that we can hear. Yeah. Like if I'm if I'm preaching and people can't hear me, then then how are they to hear the word? It's kind of a problem in their ears. Yeah. So, right. So don't hear us say that all those that things sounds don't like matter. something that's in Romans 10. You know, how are they going <laughs> right. to hear without a preacher? Yeah, anyway, yeah. Exactly. 
what we're getting at is Biblical. that I can I understand why people are turned off by church often because they get exhausted by the fact that they're going there. Everyone else around them is jumping up and down. Everybody else is excited. Or even if you're in a conservative church, you know, everybody has a smile on their face. Everybody seems to be clean cut and good. And they're, they're, they are demonstrating that, man, they just have this, they have this joy that I don't have. Like right. everybody's really quick, smiling and everybody's happy. Really quick. I just kind of lambasted the sort of mega church attractional model. Let me go after the traditional model real quick. So like yeah. even the whole like kind of classic, Man, you greet, you know, if somebody gets up in the pulpit and greets everybody, it's like, man, isn't it wonderful to be in the house of the Lord? Okay. Well, two thoughts on that. One, if you're asking me how I feel about being in the house of the Lord at this very moment, I I don't know what I'm going to say to you because it depends on the week. (laughs) But if you're asking me, do I know that it's good to be in the house of the Lord? Yes, I do. Right. But those two things are very different. And I assume that, that, you know, when you, isn't it wonderful to be in the house of the Lord? I assume that you're talking to me about what I know and not what I feel. But a lot of times the way that comes across is it's like, man, I should feel so warm and fuzzy about just being here. And I should feel so good about just being here in God's house. And it's like, man, I got, I'm feeling nothing. Like I'm afraid that if, I'm afraid that if you told me that one of my children had died suddenly, I wouldn't feel anything because that's how like jacked up I am emotionally. And I certainly don't (laughs) feel all kinds of warm and wonderful things about being in the house of the Lord today. So again, there better be something bigger than that for me. That's right. Um, Something outside of circumstance. Well, it's interesting that you should say that, Justin. I mean, not to talk about what we do at our services, but you and I are very sensitive to the fact that we know who is walking into our context. Every Sunday, I say to people, most of you, if not all of you, have walked in with shame and guilt for the failures of your week this week. And we want you to know one simple truth, that everyone stands here in equal need of God's grace. I don't care how you feel or what you've done. You need God's grace. And then we go into a prayer of confession. And after we confess our sins and and receive forgiveness, I tell them, now we have reasons to worship our God because Mm. he just forgave you of your sins. That has nothing connected to your emotions. Whether how you feel about that or not, you have one truth that remains. Your God, who loves you, is good with you, not based upon you. And that is more important than how you feel about him or how mm-hmm. you have treated him this week because yeah, the circumstances shall remain the same. God saves sinners. Um, I'm going to change a little bit. I know we've got a little bit of time left. I'm going to change this, Justin, to something that is a really hot topic. And um, there's a story, a story I want to say. I was shepherding somebody recently for this very purpose, they were emotionally just out in, in every way, shape, or form. They weren't excited about church. They weren't excited about their faith. They weren't excited about their Bible reading. And they said, I've been just dry. That's the way they described it. I've been dry for two sure. to three years, and I just feel burned. And when I started peeling back the layers, eventually what I got them to admit was they actually not only were dry, but they were resentful towards God. They were angry at him. I even got them to use the word, I, yeah, I kind of hate him because they feel like they had put all of this energy and all of this effort into God. And at moments, there was this, there's these high points where they were discipling people. They were being discipled. They were reading their Bible and it was like jumping out of the page at them. They were enjoying church. And then circumstances changed, life changed, moved, all of this. And then all of a sudden, the things that used to bring this like moment of significance, it wasn't doing it anymore. 
And the comment was, I felt like God moved away. Like he moved, he went away, he distanced himself from me, and I don't know why. So they were equating God's affection and God's concern and love to what? Their emotional experience of God. And the moment they weren't experiencing it through the different methods that they had set up, they assumed God was the one who moved away, and they didn't understand why. And it just drained them to the point where they didn't want to try anymore. So this is what I said to them. This is going to sound funny. I'm going to have to explain myself. I said, you're not allowed to read your Bible for a year. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Here we go. (laughs) And, of course, they looked at me and said, why, if I just told you I'm dry, and I just told you I'm emotionally out of it, why would you say the one thing that could bring me back in is the one thing I can't do. And I said, because that's the one thing that caused all of this problem. I said, you just admitted that you go to the word of God and you're more depressed when you come away from it than when you entered into it. I said, if the cause of your depression is an action, then maybe we should think about that for a moment. And it was at that moment, I was beginning to walk them towards your firm foundation of where you found your significance and where you found your hope was not in Christ. It was in what you were doing for Christ. And not only that, as you went into the word, you were looking for that, that moment where there was this connection between you and God, that you were going to find that verse that was going to bring this, this connection back to this emotional experience that you're going to have. And God's word is not designed to do that. it's not designed to do that at all. And yet we treat it in that way that we're looking for that golden nugget of the day. I would say you're chasing the Bible down to find that goosebump for the day to give you the energy to say, God's good with me because I experienced something this morning. Yeah, you are. We talked about this in an episode we did months ago called how not to read the Bible. That's Um, right. And one of the ways we said not to read it is this way, chasing after some experience, some high, chasing after a feeling that you would take away from the word. There are any number of ways that we turn good things like Bible reading into bondage and slavery, for sure. And what we all need to be able to do, or what we need done for us, is to have people who love us enough to recalibrate our thinking on these things. And part mm-hmm. of it is we need to learn how to read the Bible in the first place and understand it you know, legitimately in terms of its entire redemptive historical framework and everything. But then, yeah, you're exactly right. The way you framed it was exactly right, that you are not um, so much concerned about Christ or, or what he's done for you, you're concerned about what you're doing for him. And whenever that becomes your focus, there's no way that you're going to ever have peace and rest far from it. In fact, you're going to be exhausted. You're going to be beat to death and you're going to have the experience that this person did. Eventually you're just going to wear out because you're going to think, right. man, I just, I am not doing enough. I never could do enough. And then yeah, you get frustrated with Jesus or with God. And it's like, well, look, he is not the one requiring these things of you. You are requiring no, these things of you. That's right. You're right. And it's like, <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, you, yeah, we could, that, I feel like we may be, you know, headed in a completely different direction here. I'm not trying to do that and like derail our train, yeah. but, but it is related very much to the things that we're discussing. And well, I yeah, think, I want to I go back to it real quick. The yeah, point please. is, the reason I mentioned something so pointed is that I have talked to, it's happened at my members class this last Saturday. I was talking about Bible reading, and I said, how many of you moms are so exhausted by the fact that when you wake up 
and you turn your head to the left and there's already a three-year-old there there staring at you before you even get out of bed and you're thinking, there's no way I'm going to crack the word this week. And so now you're feeling guilty because you haven't spent time in the word, you're exhausted, you're tired, you're angry, and you are feeling theologically and spiritually insignificant. I said, that is not the design of God's word. And if that's what it's causing... We are we are way off here. No, I I agree. I mean, if it's this man, if it's this work to perform, if it's this thing that I must be doing in order to grow and be sustained in the faith, and like if I'm neglecting this, um, it, I mean, like you said, the perfect example, the mom with young kids. I mean, I'm married to one, and That's right. it's like, yeah, she. I can't tell you how many conversations we've had over the course of years where she has been discouraged by. Like just, I, I don't know how in the world to read the Bible or read theology or whatever it is. There are just too many immediate demands upon me. And and these things are primary. I mean, you, you ought not neglect your children uh, or your family right. and, and things of that nature. Yeah. And so any kind of church context or Christian context that would say to somebody in that circumstance that you are failing. Yeah. There's something clearly wrong. Um, well, can I just interject? I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. I'm beat down. I'm emotionally drained. And what's the question they ask them? Well, have you been spending time in the word? And I'm right. like, no, no, no. Where's well, your well, foundation? People, Where's your hope? Right. Well, be, you're exactly right. People tell you I'm exhausted. And then you basically pivot and say, well, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> like, right. what have you been doing for the Lord? Um, yeah, you're already tired. Let me give you some things to do. Said Jesus never. You know, I mean, that's the thing. Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, like one, this is not really related at all to exactly what we're talking about in this very moment, but it is related to our topic today. This is somewhat anecdotal as well. Um, I remember a service recently, like in the last few months at CBC, and in the message, I referenced a quote from John Newton that I will reference on a semi-regular basis, where he says, Something like that. This was going to be close to exact. So, to quote, in private, I am cold and lifeless as usual, but he permits me to speak for him in public. Close quote. Mm. And it's like, bro, that's good because here's a man who's, you know, he's well known, relatively well known in the last few hundred years of Christian history, uh, maybe more as a hymn writer than as an Anglican minister, but nonetheless, this man was a minister. And he speaks about the reality of his private life how he is cold and lifeless as usual, but that God permits him to speak for him in public. And uh, that's a moving thought to me as a preacher. I trust it is to you as well, John. But I, in right. the comments that I made around that and speaking about, you know, how we often don't feel it and, and whatnot, there was a brother in our church, very good friend of mine um, on our staff who came up to me after the service and was just like, brother, thank you for that. Because I was sitting here all morning, and he knows this stuff. I mean, he would agree completely with what we're saying. But he's like, I have been sitting here all morning, just flat out not feeling it. I, I just am, I'm cold, I'm apathetic, you know, I'm not stirred, I'm not warm. Uh, I've just got nothing. And he was mindful of how he was doing. And he's grieved by how he's doing. But then he's like, I can't do anything to change it. And then for whatever reason, you know, the Lord used these comments to just, in one one sense, comfort him, but then also stir him that like, no, this is the normal Christian experience That's that right. we so often don't feel it. And we, we lament the fact that we don't feel it. We feel powerless to change it. 
right? But what we need in that moment is not, well, you need to feel this way about Jesus. No, we need to be told that all is well because of Jesus, you know, and that we will struggle and we often won't feel as we should. But one day we will. One day we'll feel as we should all the time and the struggle will be no more. And because of Christ, we know that that's where we're headed. And in the meantime, he's got us. That's right. Yeah, I would say your significance should never be found in how you feel about God. And this is what Chasing Goosebumps is, is that we want to feel significant. And I will tell you, the Bible tells you how you can feel significant. It absolutely tells you. It says, love God and love each other. Peter legitimately says you're ineffective when you are not showing gentleness and patience and meekness and kindness and forgiveness. And so your effectiveness in your relationship to God has nothing to do with your emotional highs and emotional lows. And Peter says that that ineffectiveness comes from forgetting the gospel and what Christ has done for you. Right. And if you aren't doing these things, he doesn't say drum up some emotional high. He says, remember, Mm -hmm. you have been cleansed. Like you yeah, have been remember set your status, free from the bondage. That's right. Word. You've been set free from it. So the significance of your emotions is, you know, if you like, if you have an emotional high, you're like, that was great, but that doesn't become the new watermark. It just no. happens because it's like the other day when we had um, we we welcomed in a new a new child into our our congregation, Hazel, and she is she's just adorable and and I love her and I love her family and. As a pastor, that was a very emotional moment because I was like, wow, the, the Lord gave us a new child to love and to care and administrate the gospel to. Like, it was great. And then I'm going to go sit next to a man who just lost a child, right? The emotion there is like pain and suffering and sorrow. And I cannot allow either one of those to dictate my significance before the Lord because my significance before the Lord is wrapped up in his arms, not mine. It's wrapped up in his affections, not mine. And God has deep affections, so deep for me and so deep for Justin and for every Mm. listener who loves and trusts in the Lord's promises. His affections are so deep for you. He says, I sacrificed my son. That is how much affection I have for you. You cannot get Mm. any more significant affection than a man laid down his life for you. And so he doesn't say in return, in order for you to receive this, you must have the same level of affection. He says, believe it, and it's yours. That's what yeah. stabilizes us. Yeah, for sure. And I want to make a brief comment about effectiveness because you brought up Second Peter 1. A lot of times people will act and think and even accuse us of, well, how are people ever going to be effective unless we like directly exhort them toward effectiveness or unless we um, say things that are emotive on the face of them or whatever it may be. And right. my answer to that question is, well, that's sort of the wrong question, but let me speak to what your concern is. In heralding Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and in pointing people to him only, we are actually giving people the one thing that will make them effective and not mm-hmm. just make them effective tomorrow, but will sustain them in their effectiveness. You know, so like the proof is in the pudding in this too. I mean, you can motivate people with emotion and fear and guilt and all these other things for a period of time, but people will eventually absolutely crash against the rocks and will be done. Like you, it just can't be sustained, but Christ is able to sustain, you know, and we can remain effective and fruitful in his church because he is the one who ultimately carries us along in that work. 
Um, That's right. So I know that we're running low on time in the regular episode here. A couple of things that maybe for the the uh, members episode or the episode that we're about to do for our membership would be to talk about feelings in the Lord's table, maybe, because mm-hmm. that's a yep. very feeling-driven moment. I know it was in my experience. And then yep. I also may drop a little bit of uh, Horatius Bonar Gold from his book, um, uh, you know, his uh, book, God's Way of Peace, a book for the anxious. Um, yeah. Anyway, there that yeah, is. Yeah, and I, I want to talk— are interested. Yeah, I also want to speak on emotional, the preaching that is emotional, and I'm not talking about charismatic. I'm actually talking about Calvangelicals, those who consider themselves to be Calvinistic, and how they preach in such a way that if you don't have these emotional experiences as that they are pressing you towards, then you should question your salvation. I've got some words of wisdom for for those of you who may have sat under that type of preaching. We're going to liberate you from that. For those of you that don't know, this is um, this is kind of our family meeting. For those who have joined in and uh, want to support Theocast and what we're doing, uh, our membership is a way for you to join in on the team and get this message out. It's encouraging. We are seeing more pastors join in on what we're doing. We are seeing more churches planted, and uh, we have several more in the works. And all of that is because of our members who come along board and support us monthly. If you want to learn more about that, you can go to theocast.org. Stay tuned, members. If you're not using the private podcast feed, go to theocast.org slash members. You can get it there, put it in your favorite podcast app, and listen to all of our podcasts, members and regulars, right there from your phone. I don't know if you want that much Theocast, but it's available. We'll see you next week.